0: We're in this series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, this week we're going to talk about signs and wonders. What are signs and wonders? What's that all about? Uh, so, I want to start with uh, the story of a skeptic, Dr. Louis Olmedo Flores. And Dr. Flores was the professor of education in the Department of Philosophy at Central University in Quito, Ecuador. He studied in Europe, in Russia, in Egypt. Uh, He authored five textbooks on learning theory, over 200 journal articles. He was a very accomplished academic, and he was also a very committed atheist. And uh, he was a uh, a campus Marxist leader, and he even wrote a little uh, booklet that was circulated all over South America in in, uh, Marxist circles on how to raise a perfect atheist family. How's that? Not, not your typical sort of uh, uh, professor around here. Anyway, his story kind of took a fork in the road when his wife and his oldest daughter, Gabriela, attended an evangelistic rally at the local soccer stadium where they both were physically healed. And as a result, they became followers of Jesus. And then as, the, as this crusade went on, all of his daughters, he had four daughters, they all came to Christ. And so uh, shortly after their conversions, Dr. Flores came home uh, one day from uh, work at the university, and he found his wife and his daughters. He heard them praying for his salvation, and he was like, what? You know, my perfect atheist family, what has happened? His daughter, Gabriella gets up from her knees and goes over to him and says, uh, she's going to give him proof that God is real and that Jesus Christ is alive. She tells him she's going to sing to him in a language that she'd never learned before. And Gabriella then begins to sing as the Holy Spirit gave her words and she sings in Russian, German, Italian, French and then she finishes this song in English. And her her song exalted Jesus Christ and she sang to a tune she didn't know but her father had written it years and years before. Dr. Flores was familiar with each language, and he knew Gabriella, didn't know them. And this experience left him understandably shaken. Would you be shaken if that happened? Yeah, right? Dr. Flores couldn't sleep that night. Surprise. Uh, now, I don't know if he didn't sleep regularly, but I know that night he didn't sleep. He can, the next day, he canceled all of his classes, and he locked himself in his office at the university. And he sat there for hours just shaking under the power of God. So that night, he returned home, found his family praying for him again. Gabriella got up, laid hands on him, and began to prophesy over him, and she began to speak to him about these secret sins in his life. He drops to his knees, he cries out to God, and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ there. Now, later on in his testimony about this, he recalls that at that moment, God's hand picked him up off the floor And shook him like a doll. And he was healed of a displaced vertebra. He was healed of hemorrhoids, numerous allergies. He was filled with the spirit and spoke in tongues. It's not the end of the story. It wasn't just like some wild experience. Several years later, he became the senior pastor of Centro Cristiano Vida Abundante. Under his leadership, the church quadrupled to size over 1100 people. Now, if you're a little skeptical about this, you can actually go on LinkedIn and find Dr. Flores. He's the pastor of that church, and I think you can find a little bit, if you do a little Google sleuthing, you can find his story. So this is an example of what signs and wonders can can be. Signs and wonders awaken us to the fact we're not alone, and we're not in charge. That's what signs and wonders do. They awaken us to the fact that we're not alone. We're not just here on our own, and more importantly, and I think, really crucially, we're not in charge. So we're going to look at another story uh, from Acts chapter 9 of the conversion of a man named Saul of Tarsus, who we all know uh, in his pre-conversion days, he was a scholar, an activist. And this is the story of how he came to faith in Christ. It's in Acts 9, 1 to 20. If you want to look, if you want to use one of the loaner Bibles under the chair seat in front of you, you're welcome to do that. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to put the, narrative up on the screen here. So let's start in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, and and as he tells his story to other places, around noon, so right around noon, like Brightest time of the day, hottest day. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, I mean wouldn't you be speechless wouldn't you just be shocked they heard the sound but they didn't see anyone there's that God's here and you'll see he's in charge later Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing so they led him by the hand oops they led him by the hand into Damascus and for 3 days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias the Lord called to Ananias in a vision. Ananias. It has an exclamation mark in your body. I don't know if that's true or not, but I guess that would get me. If all of a sudden I had a vision and Jesus is calling my name, uh, it would get my attention. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man. Excuse me, I lost my voice. Any, Many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Not good news. But the Lord said to, said to Ananias, There it is again, go! This man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, He regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a dramatic conversion. Okay, that's that's one for the books. But that, like you saw with uh, Dr. Flores, this is not an uncommon thing. That God is doing signs and wonders all over the world. He's doing signs and wonders in America. Now, what I want to show you today is is the God of signs and wonders the role of signs and wonders, and then signs and wonders today, here, now. So the God of signs and wonders. Saul experienced in this narrative a sign and wonder on the way to Damascus. He's on the road. The sign is the light and voice got his attention. God was there. He didn't think God was anywhere near these people he was going. He thought God was with him. The wonder is Saul and his companions were left in awe and amazement. They weren't in charge. God is. Again, this is what signs and wonders do. As they arrest people's attention, they show us that God is really here. And they, and they actually, most of the time, signs and wonders will change our perception in a dramatic way. It will shift the way we see the world, the way we see reality, the way we see ourselves, the way we see God, the way we see other people. So God did miracles, signs, and wonders from Genesis to Revelation to produce this awareness that He is real and is in charge in the real world we live in every day. And we wonder sometimes: Is God around? And, and I know he's supposed to. I'm supposed to believe He's around, but is He really around? And is, if he's around, is he really in charge? Because it seems like the way things are going, it doesn't seem like he's in charge. So in Jeremiah, uh, well into the Old Testament, here's one of the, Jeremiah reflected, and, and, and we have a prayer where he says, Ah, sovereign Lord, nothing is too hard for you. You perform signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day. So this was... Centuries later, God was still doing signs and wonders, and Jeremiah was noting it. But now look what else he adds to our understanding of signs and wonders. He says, you've continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind. So there were signs and wonders going on that Jeremiah noted that weren't in Israel. They were in Babylon. They were in India. They were in Europe. They were in Africa. That God does signs and wonders. It's part of his nature because he's a God of wonders. Now, in our Western world, we tend to struggle with believing anything outside of what we can measure and control and explain. But God won't be limited by that. And that's a struggle we have in the church, to believe that God really is a God of signs and wonders. So he says, and uh, I'm sorry, you've continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have gained the renown that is still yours. That's Jeremiah 32 17 and 20. So here's the thing about signs and wonders signs and wonders include not just walking on water, but if you read like Hebrews, Hebrews 1, there's lots of places that describe where signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Spirit are all in this semantic range of the works of God. And over and over and over, these words are used the power of the Holy Spirit, miracles, the power of the Holy Spirit who we're talking about in this series, the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit and signs and wonders. They are, they are all connected together. And they're not just the most super dramatic things or signs and wonders. Sometimes a sign of wonder can be something that's very personal and real. Like what happened to Dr. Flores when his daughter Gabriella sang in a song. She felt led to, I mean, that's a pretty bold thing to say, right? I'm going to sing in a language I don't know. Wow. But God ha- had grabbed her heart to such a point that she had this sense, this confidence, certainly, to take this risk. But it wasn't walking on water. It wasn't parting the Red Sea. It was a revelational gift. But signs of wonders come in all these shapes and sizes, but they get people's attention. They show it. God is here and he's in charge. So Let's look at the role of signs and wonders. There's three things, signs and wonders, we could say about signs and wonders. First is, they authenticate the gospel. In the New Testament, you're going to hear this over and over and over if you ever study this subject. The gospel is the message that God is bringing wholeness to every dimension of life through Jesus Christ, calling all who hear to become his followers or his disciples. So the gospel is this good news. That this this broken world that we live in, that that God and his salvation is breaking into this world. It's breaking in right where we are, right where we live. And that he's doing it through Jesus Christ, who is his son. And signs and wonders authenticate that message. So that we can believe it's true. And so that people can believe it's true. Just like Moses came... To say that God was delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt. And he wanted to free the Egyptians from the bondage to their false idols. Because I don't know if you guys realize this. But when when you believe in something that's not the one true God. And we tend to believe in it because it gives us some benefit. We think we get a benefit from believing in something that's not God. But the truth is it flips immediately. And what we believe in, that we think will give us freedom and will benefit us, enslaves us. And I was this, this morning, I was driving to go get Kathy some coffee, and I just flipped the radio on, and I heard this iconic song from the 80s by Robert Palmer, Palmer called You're Addicted to Love. Remember that? Yeah. You might as well face it, you're addicted to love. Yeah. I don't do it as good as him. But it had this music video. Do you remember the music video? I'm actually thinking of showing it to you sometime, except it's it might go between PG thirteen to R. It's kind of but it's it's these it's Robert Palmer singing in this black suit, and these women, these real attractive, uh, supermodel-ish look types with these you know, real tight black dresses on, and they're all kind of air guitaring to this song. But he he talks about in this how you're addicted to love. And the lyrics of it are so telling about how something that you love can completely control you and make you lose your mind and lose your freedom. And I wonder, I often wonder whoever wrote that song, if they were writing autobiographically about an experience where something that they thought was really going to benefit then became something that, that in fact corrupted them and, and ruined them. Because that's what the psalm basically says. And you need another kiss. You need another this. You need another that. Well, the gospel tells us that through Jesus, we can, be, we can find real freedom. Like we looked at a couple of weeks ago before we started the, the first Sunday, we talked about in Galatians 5 how the Spirit gives us true freedom. And true freedom is the ability to love. It's the ability to love. That that's freedom. To love the way we were created to love. And not be in bondage. Not be controlled by corruption. So, signs and wonders confirm this. So, I'll, I'm going to show you an example, a story in the Gospels. Jesus's Signs and wonders confirm Jesus' claim to authority. So, when we tell people the Gospel, that Jesus is the one that salvation, the salvation we're really looking for, it comes through him. People are really skeptical about that, right? That, that skepticism started a long time ago. It's not just a contemporary phenomenon. So let's look at this passage. It's in, from Luke 5. And it's the story of where Jesus is in someone's house, and it's super crowded. In fact, people can't even get into it. It's so crowded. And there's some people there who hear Jesus is there, and they go, let's go get our friend who's paralyzed. And they try to get him in the house, and no one wants to give him room. So they get up on the roof. They tear the roof open. I mean, imagine that right now. We're, we're here, and maybe... We're not totally full, but let's just say we were SRO in here. And all of a sudden, we heard a chainsaw, you know, and, and sawdust starts falling on top of me. And I look up, and, you know, a chunk of the ceiling about the size of a gurney just opens up, and this sunlight, and it just falls on the ground. And then some, a guy's dropped down on some ropes in his pallet, right? He's, he's, he's crippled. And he, right in front of me, and it, that's what happened here. Okay, so here's what went on. So when Jesus saw their faith, he saw the faith that they had in him. The friends who brought, and the, and the man who went to all this trouble. They tore the roof off of this house. Not a cool thing to do, actually. They, he sees them, and it says, when he saw their faith, he said to the man, First, friend, your sins are forgiven the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus is claiming all through his teaching and through his life and ministry. He's saying, I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I've come to bring the kingdom of God. To bring this age to come and break into your lives. And, And the only way it breaks into the world is through faith in me. So, these guys aren't buying it. They go, who does he think he is? So Jesus knew what they were thinking. So they were just thinking it in their minds. But this is, this is signs and wonders time. He knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? This is a bold move here, isn't it? It is easy to say, right? I can say to Penny, Penny, your sins are forgiven. How's anybody going to know it, right? What proof is there? But... If I say it and it's true and her sins are really forgiven, then that would be a pretty significant thing for someone to experience. But how do you know for sure? So Jesus goes, okay, I get it. You guys don't think I can do this. You're still tied to the old system that that forgiveness comes through the temple and the sacrifice of animals. All that's obsolete now because I'm here. But you're not ready for that. You're not ready to trust in me. You want to trust in the system because this is what we do. We find something that we think works, a religious system, and, and it, God did work through it, but God told them at some point that's going to be obsolete. The real is going to come, and that, that thing that's a type, that's just preparatory, is going to be set aside, and it's going to be obsolete. And when the real comes, you better welcome it. And so these guys, they're not ready to buy that Jesus is really this special person, the Messiah. So here's what Jesus says. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins because this is the most important healing you can have is the forgiveness of your sins and the healing of your relationship with God so you can begin to flourish in life. So he says, let's do this. Let's, Let's do a little test. So he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things. See that? Signs and wonders gets your attention. God's here. God's in charge. And Jesus vindicated his authority to forgive sins because he said, what's easier? To say you forgive sins and no one can prove it. But if I can raise her from the dead just by the command of my words, you might be more inclined to think I can do that forgiveness thing too. And I think at that point, everyone went, there was an intake of breath. Now, maybe many of you never seen anything like that before. But when you experience that moment of signs and wonders, it comes in lots of shapes and sizes. It begins to reorient you about how life works. And sometimes it's just incrementally, it's just a little bit. But it starts you down a different path. You're going this way, and all of a sudden you kind of go this way. Then it happens again, and, and pretty soon, all of a sudden, you're on a new path. So that's what was happening. Signs and wonders also reveal people's hearts. Signs and wonders show what's inside our hearts. Everyone who sees a sign and a wonder is going to have their heart exposed. You might not be aware that's what happens, but Jesus often refused to do signs and wonders because people harden their hearts refusing to repent and believe. So Jesus had given them enough evidence to believe, but they didn't want to believe. What they were doing is they were... They had this posture, well, you got to prove it to me. And what what they had done was they moved from the place of, I'm the creation. And when God speaks to me, I'm going to respond to him to, I'm God. And when God shows up and shows me what's true, you're going to you're gonna have to go do better than that. And it exposed the posture of their heart was they really... This was just, their dismissing of Jesus' claims was a pretext for them to keep running their own life. And the truth is, when you see a sign and a wonder, it's going to challenge you to accept the fact that you're not in charge. That's what signs and wonders do. That's why they're so jarring. Because they challenge the I'm in charge, I'm the boss, I'm the judge mentality. I was talking to a young man the other day. who, He's a pastor in a church and he's trying to, you know, they're trying to introduce the things of the Spirit in their church. And he was talking about how some pushback that they're getting. And, and I said, there's a passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 that says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Examine everything carefully Hold fast to what's good and abstain from every form of evil. And what that means is, it's the exact opposite of of the way that most people are towards the work of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to start with openness. We're supposed to start with this posture of, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. And not the the place of judgment. what, What we are supposed to start with is desire and then discern. When you start with discernment, you're starting in the place of I'm in charge. And I'm not going to trust that God could be here and doing anything. But it doesn't say that we're not supposed to discern. It says we're supposed to be open-hearted towards God because the work of the Spirit can get squashed so quickly. We, we extinguish the fire of the Spirit. You think, how can you do that? I mean... There's been Sundays like we saw last Sunday many times in our church. But the fire of the Spirit is like a candle. that You can just go like this. We wouldn't be warned not to extinguish the fire of the Spirit unless it was possible to extinguish the fire of the Spirit. Each of us. Do you see that? And so, I mean, I just ask you for a second. Is there any way that you've extinguished the fire of the Spirit in your life or in groups and circumstances you're in where the Spirit is moving? We have to maintain this delicate balance because God doesn't just come in, guns blazing, I'm just going to do whatever I want, I'm I'm, Moses parting the Red Sea. If you really read these texts, you'll see how tenuous all that is and how that could have gone sideways and just been extinguished just like that. You're going to see it as we keep reading this story, how there is another turning point where when God appeared to Paul, there is another turning point where the work of the Spirit could have been just checked. There's several of them in this story. But God exposes our hearts. And I remember years ago, uh, how uh, I used to be one of those people that preached on campuses, and I did a lot of open-air preaching. I, I, I did it in Texas and Minnesota, here in Columbus, other places, and I remember one time we were, I was uh, at the Oval, and I was preaching uh, during uh, the break between classes, you know, about 10 minutes before each hour, all the students get out, and this was like early, like late morning, you know, right before lunch, and I'm up at, uh, by the the library, and there's a statue at the library with one of the OSU presidents named William Oxley Thompson, and on either side, of the st- the, so here's his statue. On either side, there's like a little flat area you could stand. And the students would come out of the library and they would come down this side of the library and this side of the library, and they, just hundreds of them would pass by there. So we would stand there and we would take turns, me and some other campus ministry people, we'd take turns doing open air preaching. we preach for like five or ten minutes. Yes, I can only preach five or ten minutes. I actually started out that way because that's all I had enough, that's all I could say was about five or ten minutes worth. And uh, and then we would, you know, look and see who's stopping and listening. And, you know, like maybe, maybe Greg's got his book bag and he's stopping and listening. And so when, when my five or ten minute was, was up, I'd jump off there and somebody else would jump up and, you know, keep the crowd. And I'd go over and talk to Greg. Well, one day, I'm standing up there and just tons of people coming by. And I'm about to finish. And I always would try to finish and, and just challenge people with something and I had something prepared in my mind, and just this thing popped into my mind. It just came out of my mouth, just, just like that. And and as it was coming out, I was looking towards uh, the library and all the doors, and there's a bunch of students who are kind of going this way and this way, you know, like how, how crowds will do and people coming out, this is kind of this mishmash. And I saw this one young guy walking along, and he had his book bag over his shoulder, and I'm looking at this, comes out of my mouth. I said, some of you have rejected Christianity not because you've ever really dug into it to see what it is about. You've just rejected it, just like you saw something written on the, 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 the wall of a toilet that said something you know rude about somebody, and you passed it on, and you just believed it because you saw that. I said, but you need to be honest enough to ask hard questions and see if there's any validity to it. And this guy's walking along like this, and I'm over here. He's walking along like this, and he started slowing down. And then he just stopped. He's just standing there like that as I'm talking. And I watched him. When I got to that point where I said that, he went like this. And he turned, and, he, and I jumped down off. He walked right up to me, and he said, That's me. I'm that person you just described. He says, I've been against, you know, against Christianity and faith all these years. And he said, I just, you're right. And I, I, he said, that's kind of bigoted. That's kind of close-minded. And here I am. Now, this kid was a 4.0 student at Ohio State, you know, an academic scholarship. He's in this uh, really hard-to-get-into program. He became an executive at Lays. Anyway, it wasn't very long after that. He came to Christ, and he was responsible for a bunch of other people coming to faith. He was in our church for years and years, and then he graduated and moved to Oregon. And I think he lives in Indiana now. Lives in Fort Wayne. But that was a sign and a wonder. It wasn't Moses part in the Red Sea, but it got his attention, and he came to Christ. Signs and wonders not only Confirm the gospel, reveal hearts, but they demonstrate God's grace. Look at Saul with me for a second. Jesus graciously pursued Saul. Saul is on his way to Damascus. He's going to just lay the wood to the Christians there. He's going to persecute them. And Jesus appears to him. He's pursuing him. This is what grace does. This is what signs and wonders are part of. They're they're God's way of pursuing people. They're God's way of reaching out to people and trying to put his arms around them and say, you don't have to keep running from me. Because what Saul was doing was he was running from God. He thought he was doing God's work. He thought he, he had everything planned out in his mind, but he was so wrong, he didn't even realize it. But Jesus graciously. I mean, Jesus could have come along and just gone like this. Think, He didn't. He just showed up and asked him a question. Now, if, if you ever read the Bible, you're going you're gonna to notice this pattern. When God shows up and he confronts people, he doesn't go, because he isn't just trying to squash people. He's trying to pursue people because he loves them and he wants a relationship with them. And so he asks us, like in Isaiah 1, it says, come, let us reason together. He asks Saul a question. Why are you persecuting me? And don't you think that that must have been just like the best question in the world to ask Saul? He thought he had a good reason why. But he, he was raised that when God showed up, he would show up like this. His... the the heritage of his people were a series of events and and seasons in their history that were launched when God showed up like this. Suddenly a light from heaven. Jesus graciously exposed Saul's sin, his unbelief, his pride, and his rebellion. Saul saw, why do you persecute me? Jesus graciously invited Saul into a relationship by faith. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. This is, this is always the issue between us and God. We have our agenda, we're living it out, and God shows up and says, drop your agenda and I'm going to tell you what to do. And he doesn't mince any words. He says, you have no idea what you're doing. You need to learn to learn first and you need to embrace that posture for the rest of your life. When you think you're doing everything right, how quickly you can go wrong. You're going to look back at this moment and this will be a lesson for you for the rest of your life and that's why we see such humility in Paul was he was so sure he was right. How many of you right now Are so sure you're right. You're just so sure you're right. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if you had an argument on the way to church today, because that's kind of like tradition. You you argue on the way to church. That's why Kathy and I drive two different cars. (laughs) Because couples argue on the way to church. They yell at the kids on the way to church. They yell at people, you know, who are driving around them on the way to church. It's what happens. I don't, I'm not saying it should be that way, but it just seems to be that way. And when we're in that place where we're, we're, we're just in that combative place, at the root of it is this I'm right. These kinds of moments help us to begin to reorient away from that deeply ingrained attitude that we have that I'm right. And we begin to entertain the idea on a more and more regular basis that I need to be open. I need to listen. I really need to listen to people more than I do. And most of all, I need to listen to God. And I need to posture myself before God. You're in charge. What do you want? Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. That's what Paul got a a, a gracious, gentle lesson in that. But he's on the ground And Jesus says to him, get up and go into the city. And you're going to see in a second, there's three goes in this. That word go is is critical to this narrative. But Saul is going in this posture of I'm right. And Jesus says, you couldn't be more wrong. And I Is anybody here today in this place where, like Saul, you're running from God? You may already be a follower of Jesus. You may not be. But you're running from God. You think the way you're going is right. You know the the Old Testament Hebrew word, shub, or tushub, depending on how it's translated, that means repent? You know what it, it means in its most common usage? To return home. When we repent, we stop running from God and we return home. We return towards him, the one who made us, the one who loves us. Jesus is inviting Saul to come home. But to come home, the terms are, you're not in charge. I'm here and I'm in charge. You're not in charge. And so today, if you're going to return home, you're going to have to come to terms with that. So, signs and wonders today, signs and wonders awaken us to the fact that we're not alone and we're not in charge. So what does this mean for us today? There's three goes. We have an identity, our identity as a community, as we're a family of servant missionaries. All of us. When we're baptized into the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit says when we're baptized into the Father, our identity is beloved children of God. Boom. That is the fundamental identity we have. But we're also baptized into Jesus who was a servant. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And so we serve other people. We serve the community around us humbly. But we're also baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who sends us. Jesus said in John 20, he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So we're a family of servant missionaries. Ananias was a reluctant missionary. Did you read the story? Because God says to him, Ananias, and he says, yeah. And he says, go to Straight Street and... (laughs) Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, right? That's the go. I'm sending you. You're a missionary. He's just, uh, he's not, if you notice, it says he's a disciple. He's not an apostle. He didn't have any rank in the church. He's just a follower of Jesus. And Jesus calls this one follower of Jesus to do something that changed history. And if you read this, this, it's so tenuous what was happening here. Everything depended on this, you're in charge, God, and I'm going to do what you want. But the next thing he says is, but Lord, right? Here's the reluctance. But Lord, Saul, this guy, man, he's a, he's a homewrecker. He, he, is, he is trouble, right? And he gives him this good reason why I don't want to go and do this. And, and basically, God's saying, Ananias, I've set up this adventure for you. It's going to be a sweet thing. He already knows you're coming. Ananias can't hear any of that. None of it. He just sees the threat to his life, right? He knows this guy's coming, and he's coming with bear. He's, he wants to just tear things up. What does God say to him? Well, I understand. You're right. This is probably crazy. What was I thinking? You know. No. What does he say? It's the... It's the second, excuse me, it's the third go. Go! If you read it, you open your Bible, there's an exclamation mark. Go! I'm in charge. Go! Then Ananias went, and it all played out. But you see how, how tenuous, like, this is God. The God who made everything invites us into what he's doing. And our our partnership, His purposes hinge on our partnership. Do you realize the significance that that gives you? You don't know the difference you can make in in a person's life and what that will do. And the cascade of good things that can come from you doing one thing that God asks you to do that you don't want to do. We, too, are reluctant missionaries. What is your but, Lord? What is your but, Lord? But, Lord, we all have them. I challenge you to consider what yours are. Embracing our identities as missionaries pays off. We find more of his presence when we're on mission. You know, when you read the book of Jonah, it says the Lord came to Jonah, the word of the Lord came and said, go to Nineveh and, and preach. I want to I call the Ninevites to repent. And it says that Jonah turned and ran away from the presence of the Lord. That's in Jonah 1. He ran away from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is intense around the people He's pursuing and loving. And we as missionaries are called to experience His presence, because you can't do signs and wonders without presence. And so many of us hunger for the Lord's presence. And you wonder, why am I so dry? Because when you Refuse to embrace your calling as a missionary, you're going to run from the presence of the Lord. You're going to experience your own spiritual dryness. Even though you're doing what you think might be good, and you're not in any trouble, you're not you know, doing anything that's, that's corrupt, but you're just about your own business. Another thing is, when we find spiritual renewal when we're on mission, over and over, Jesus said, if you give, it gives, it's given back to you. And when you invest in the lives of other people, you're going to find God returning life to you because it's costly to be a, a missionary. It is. So, let's close. Jason, why don't you guys come up? Which go do you need to respond to today? There's three goes. The first go was after Jesus appeared to Saul and showed him he was, he was there and he was in charge. He said, go, go home. Not, not that home was Damascus, but let go of your agenda. Let go of of this the way that you've structured your life and embrace following me. And again, that was my, my first... Application was just to ask if anybody's here. The Lord wants you to come home today. Then there's another go that that Jesus repeated twice to Ananias, and that's to the rest of us. I've made you a missionary wherever you are. Everybody's called to ministry, not the ministry. Everybody's called to ministry. Not if you have time, and not if it's convenient. Not if it's not dangerous and costly. Because doing what Ananias did fit none of those. And Jesus didn't even care that it was dangerous. He said, this is so important, what I'm asking you to do, that I'm calling you to do it. And how many of you have said, but Lord, and you're just stuck there? But Lord, signs and wonders happen when we say, okay, I'll go. They don't happen without us going. Just like in Romans 10, it says, how will they believe unless someone's sent? Or unless they hear it, how will they hear unless someone's sent? Someone goes. Someone like you and like me. And what I want to do for a second is, if you guys could just, you know how you ended playing Just instrumental. I want us just to. Start like we did last week. Just by praising the Lord for a minute. But. Like we like to say. Or like like the term is. Where we just sing a new song. That they're going to play. A tune. And they're not going to sing. And we are going to pick up on the tune, and we're just going to sing songs from our own heart to Jesus. And if you want to sing in your prayer language, or you want to sing in in just words of your own, if you want to sing the words to whatever the tune of the song is, if there are words to that, that's fine. But I'd like you to stand. and I just believe that, again, we need to come in the Lord's presence. Because he's come here to welcome some people home and he's come to welcome some of us back onto the mission. And he wants to welcome him with his power. But his power is going to come when you say yes. When you say yes to him calling you to go. And it doesn't mean you have a go, there's something concrete. It's the go, Lord. Like Saul was told, go, I'll tell you what to do. So some of you To get back into into being a missionary, you just have to say, okay, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to be willing to be told what to do. Or some of you have a mission the Lord's put you on for the heart of people that He cares about. And you've just said, but, Lord. And today I'm asking any of those three groups... As we sing this song, as the Lord speaks to you, I just want you to come up front, and, and we're going to just pray over you, and just pray for the Spirit to come and meet you and engage you. And I believe that, that, that many of you, the Lord's going to meet you with great power, because he's, He is about doing signs and wonders. There, there, are, <laughs> there have been different kinds of healings that have been going on, and people have been getting touched and getting saved around our church for a while. And you may look around and think, well, there's not a lot of new people here. There's a lot, there's, there, there are ripples going out from this little body right now that are surprising. But we're at this moment, and you're at this moment, where the Lord's inviting you into signs and wonders. And there's a you're you're a hinge, and you have to repent of the but Lord, and you have to go. That's the invitation. So do not you stand with me?